So we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 1 today, so if you want to be turning to that, um, I just wanted to say this is kind of a continuation of last week's message. We're going to take a little bit different turn this week. Um, I'm only going to teach one Greek word today, okay? That's it. I'm I'm not going to get into the original language a whole lot. I did want to kind of review uh, just the basic points of what we learned last week. Uh, We talked about the history of Scripture, uh, how far the scope is, right? Uh, How uh, we got the Bible that we did today, that we have today. Uh, We talked about its authenticity. Uh, We mentioned the three M's, the martyrs, the message, and the different manuscripts that were around that proved that the Word of God can be reliable and accurate. And we also talked about how Scripture is inerrant and it has been inspired by the Holy Spirit through humans who wrote down the Word of God, but God led and directed them in that process. So that was last week's message in under a minute. So that happened last week. I asked, the, I asked Josh, he filled in for me on Wednesday, um, I asked him to Uh, task the youth students with uh, a little project. I asked them to write down what the Word of God meant to them. And so uh, if it's all right with you all, I would like to read some of these because it's pretty pretty neat. Um, Says, what does the Word of God mean to me? I like to think that the Word of God is kind of our spiritual nutrition. We need necessities like food, water, and exercise in our everyday lives in order to stay fit, right? The Word of God is the same way. We need it daily in order to stay spiritually fit. Not only do we need it, but we need to spend time studying it and meditating on it. God's Word needs to be the top of our priorities. It's pretty impressive, right? Top of our priorities. It needs to be a whole guide to how we should live our lives. So the Word of God isn't just some book, but an essential daily thing. Our spiritual jumping jacks, our spiritual lettuce, our spiritual water. That's pretty, pretty neat, right? Uh, the Word of God is everything. It is instructions on how to live my life for Him. God's way of talking to us and telling us what we should do. It tells us about good and evil and how we should base our morals. The Word of God has positively impacted my life in many ways. It has gotten me through many difficult times. He is our Lord and Savior. The Word of God should be spread so we can help others. This one has a list here, love, forgiveness, wisdom, heartache, companionship, disciples, loyalty, goodness, and beauty. The Word of God is not false, proven true despite claiming it's false throughout time. True if translated right, because it can be really bad at times. That's a good one. Uh, The Word of God means safety, security, knowing it's going to be okay. It means that there is hope. The Word of God is is always open and welcome. It means to be free. The Word of God is reassuring. The Word of God spreads love. The Word of God tells me that I am saved. Simply here, it is hope, knowledge, growth, new life, security, and a home. The Word of God is important to me because God is our Lord and Savior. The Word of God needs to be spread because it spreads information about God's story and how He created everything. I want to get to this last one here because it just pretty much says it all. Um, Simply put, it means everything. It means everything to this young gentleman. And I'm going to ask this question at the end, but I want you to be thinking about it. 
I want to ask the same question to you that I asked to my youth students on Wednesday. What does the Word of God mean to you? If you remember last week, uh, we talked about if you view the Word of God properly, it will have an amazing impact on your life. It'll have an eternal impact on your life, not only into the future, not only uh, after we leave this place, but daily in our lives. Right now, it can shape and change who we are. And so we're going to get into the continuation of the Word of God, part two here uh, this morning. And uh, I want to start off with uh, one Greek word, and that's it. I, I, I promise you I'd only teach you one new one. Um, this is one you should all be familiar with. It is logos, L-O-G-O-S, and that's your first fill in the blank. You see, this, this word um, represented an idea in Greek culture. It represented the sum total of all information if it could be found on earth. And it's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird concept to think about, but you can almost think of it like if, if an ancient Greek philosopher came to uh, this church right now and they saw a computer and saw that it could access all the information on the web, they'd say, this is like a form of the Logos because it contains all this information. So the Greeks were really familiar with, with this concept. So we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John chapter 1, and, and I just want to read this to you because, and I, I wanted to, to describe that to you, because if the Apostle John was speaking to this audience and he says logos, I want you to be thinking in terms of that. That's how the Greeks thought. As soon as they heard this word, it would have triggered something in their mind. So here we are, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the logos. That's the Greek word translated word. In the beginning was the word, logos. Immediately, they would be, they'd be, their minds would be racing. What is he talking about? What does he mean? In the beginning was, was information, was all this knowledge. And the Logos, the Word, was with God. And the Logos was God. The author of John has said something incredibly profound here and amazing. Not only, not only has, he, has he struck a chord with the Greeks who are around, but also with his Jewish people who are around listening as well. In the beginning, where have we heard that before? Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As soon as he starts that sentence, in the beginning, he's captivated his audience because he has the Hebrew-speaking people as well as the Greeks on the edge of their seat. It is pretty incredible. So number one, we just looked at the logos. That's the only Greek word I'm teaching you. Hopefully you will remember it. And uh, number two, we're going to talk about Jesus. That's the next fill in the blank. I just want to read this passage. This will be for, for the entirety of the scripture here. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. Remember, Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Now listen to this. This is where, this is where it changes thing. This is where the crowd would have gasped whenever they heard this. And the word, the logos, it's the same word there, translated, logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Don't miss that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This concept to the Greeks, this far-off thought of, of all this sum total of knowledge is now in fleshly form and is walking among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, and he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. So simply put, point number two, Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the representation of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding in the universe. But it goes so far beyond what the Greeks thought that they would have had no way to to comprehend that. Their jaws would have been on the floor, or I would like to think of them like that. Um, so Jesus is the Logos. He's the exact representation of God here on this earth. Uh, the next thing that this verse talks about with Jesus is that Jesus is life. We'll go back to, uh, to the beginning of the verse. Um, in him was life. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you'll remember in John uh, chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he was teaching some very difficult things, and all the disciples began to walk away from him. And so he asked the twelve, he says this, do you also want to go away? Are are you going to leave me too? Because I said some difficult things, I said some hard teachings, and now you're just going to walk away? Is that that where you're going to be as well? Listen to this. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the very words of eternal life. Let that sink in for a minute. Where are you going to turn whenever life becomes difficult? Whenever the mission that God tasked you with becomes difficult. You're just going to leave? Where are you going to go? Who are you going to turn to? 
where are you going to go? Because nowhere else can you find the words of eternal life. It is only found in the person of Jesus, the representation of the Logos, the very word of God. He is life. He has eternal life. He's also light. In Celebrate Recovery, we talk about uh, being in recovery. The first step is to admit that you have a problem. That's denial, right? It's not just a river in Egypt. It is a state of existence. You can be in denial your whole life. But you have to realize that you're in darkness. And once you realize you're in darkness... You can be equipped with the Word of God to overcome that darkness so that that darkness doesn't spill over into your life now. Now, I'm saying all this, and a lot of you might have these these thoughts or memories popping up in your head where, where it still affects you to this day, like thinking about something that happened to you, something traumatic, or something somebody said to you, uh, some, some kind of hurt past. You may be thinking, you know, that, that still affects me to this day. Well, you have darkness in your past that you haven't shed light on yet. That's what Jesus is. He is the true light that shines light into the darkness. The darkness can't overcome him. John 1, 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness can't even comprehend Jesus' light whenever it is shed on it. If we don't properly deal with the sin of our past, it can spill over into our future, but Jesus shines light on it. So Jesus is the logos, Jesus is the life, and Jesus is the light, the three L's. We had the three M's last week, we have the three L's this week. And uh, I'm going to make a kind of a final point in this series. Uh, He's either going to be The Word of God is either going to be your instructor or your judge. That's the options. Either your instructor or your judge. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we looked at this last week. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Somebody say complete. Some more people say complete. Complete, there we go. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you look at the Word of God as true, as holy, as God's Word for your life, It will instruct you in every area. When somebody hurts you, there's instruction for that. Whenever there's disappointment, whenever there's car crashes, whenever there's death, whenever there's life, the Word of God will equip you to be complete. Now, does that mean that the Word of God is going to protect you from all bad things forever? No. God's Word never promises us happiness. It never promises us that. What it does promise is that whenever we have the Holy Spirit, we will have joy, which is different from happiness. 
Happiness is kind of a fleeting emotion, right? But joy is a state of who you are. And it can instruct us in all of those things. And if we read it through spiritual eyes, it'll change every part about us. It will make us complete. That's incredible. That should blow your mind here this morning. And if it doesn't, then you need to get into the Word of God and and begin to let it transform who you are. So if it's not our instructor, if we're we're not seeing it as true and holy and life-changing and amazing and and, and instruction for every part of our life, if if we're not seeing it like that, then we are living with a carnal mind. We're not living with a spiritual mind. We have a carnal mind. And for those who have a carnal mind, who have not accepted Jesus, it's going to be their judge. You see, a lot of, a lot of us like to think, I know I did before I was saved, I'm a pretty good person. And really that was true. I, I, was, I was morally a pretty good person. I, I tried to do all the right things. I tried to help out people. I, I, I tried to be a good friend. I tried to be a good uh, son. I tried to be a good husband. I tried to do all these things, and, and I would look at different people, right, because that's what you do. I would look at different people, and I would say, well, morally, I'm better than that person, which is pride, right? But, but that's what I would do. And I think most people look at life like that, like, well, I'm a pretty good person because I, I do some pretty good things. And that may be true, but whenever you look at the Word of God, God is not going to judge you according to what everybody else is doing. All that is irrelevant. What the people around you are doing is irrelevant because you are going to be judged based on the Word of God. And, and I want you to think about just, just the Ten Commandments. There are hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament, but think of the Ten Commandments. God will judge you according to those. So, you shall not lie. How many of you have ever told a lie in this room? I don't see any hands raised, but maybe, no, I'm not even going to go there. How many of you all have ever told a lie? I think everybody in the room, even if it was an innocent lie, that has happened. And if you're going according to the Word of God, God is holy And just one sin is enough to be judged for. And the wrath of God is poured out in judgment. That was just one of the Ten Commandments. Think about the others. This gets us into Revelation 20.11. At the end end of time here. Then I saw a great white throne in him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. You may want to be judged based on other people, but that's not what this judgment is. This judgment is how well you did according to God's Word. And I don't know about you all, but I don't want to be judged according to that. But whenever you're saved, you don't have to be because 
Jesus has stepped in and declared you not guilty. He didn't say you did nothing wrong. He didn't say you don't have to change how you live. He didn't say any of that. He said you're declared not guilty, which is a pretty amazing thing. Once you surrender, once you accept the darkness of the past is forgiven, you no longer have to allow it to come into your future. God forgives you of that, and he heals you. So I want you to take a minute, and I want you to really think about this. Uh, I have something I want to share with you, um, kind of personal, but I want you to, to just ask yourself this question. Honestly, what does the Word of God mean to you? What does the Word of God mean to you? And I know this may be a little strange, but I'm just going to give you 30 seconds, a minute, something like that, to just, no distractions, no looking around, no anything, just meditate on that for a minute. What does the Word of God mean to you? I didn't want to ask this question uh, to you all or to my youth students without first asking it of myself. And so, um, much like these, these um, very thoughtful uh, letters from the youth, I, I wrote a letter here as well. Um, and we have a song uh, at the end. This, I'm, I'm pretty much wrapping up here. So, Michelle, if you want to go ahead and come on up while I read this, um, we'll, we'll pretty well close with this. What the Word of God means to me Um, when I was a child, the Word of God was simply a book we had in our house that was never open, that had the title, Holy Bible. When my grandpa died and I couldn't understand why everyone was crying, the preacher read the Word of God to comfort everyone. When I was 10 and I was at my friend's house and began to wonder what would happen to me when I died and could only see blackness, something like before any memory started, I was searching, and I believed that the Word of God was with me then, urging me to seek Him. The Word of God was read at a Catholic Mass when I was 15, the first time I ever stepped foot in a church. The Word of God was taught when I went to a Pentecostal youth group my senior year, when my girlfriend and I broke up and I didn't know what to do. When Kayla and I were married, the Word of God was read publicly to declare a new chapter in our lives. The Word of God has been present my entire life, and I had not even realized it. When Kayla and I separated and were on the verge of divorce, the Word of God called to me in my pain. When I was a broken man at my wit's end, when life was without hope. This is where the Word of God began to take on new meaning for me. I began reading the Word of God and seeking answers to all the many questions I had. The Word of God became an obsession to me, an addiction, a hunger. I read it for hours every day. After months, I came to the understanding that the Word of God contained the very words of life. I surrendered to the call of the Word of God. The Word of God began to change me and grow me, not only me, but Kayla as well. The Word of God was healing us individually and was in turn healing our marriage. And everything has been perfect since that moment. End of story, happily ever after. Not quite. The Word of God was a comfort when my grandma passed away. Not in a preacher preaching the Word of God 
kind of way, but instead of a, in a living and active kind of way that I'd never experienced before. The Word of God equipped me to teach Sunday school when I was not even remotely qualified. The Word of God was taught in our church every Sunday and in our Bible studies at our house. My brother-in-law and best friend from the first grade heard the Word of God at our house and began to overcome addiction. The Word of God was a comfort when that same brother-in-law died a few months later from his addiction. A comfort not only to me, but his twin sister, my wife Kayla. The Word of God called to us, urging us to surrender to minister to the lost, broken, and hurting. The Word of God has been there when best friends let us down, when fathers let us down, when the people we try to help continue to lead us on and then let us down. The Word of God was there during all four pregnancies, during cancer scares, during operations, during global viruses, those close to us getting a divorce. The Word of God was present when all six of us collided head-on when a vehicle pulled out in front of us on the highway. The Word of God gave us hope that it would be okay. Even when I nearly cut my finger off, the Word of God was there. When I face depression and negative emotions, the Word of God gives me strength. When my wife was operated on just a few days ago, the Word of God gave us peace. Even our crazy finances are not off reach to the Word of God. As one of the teenagers already wrote, simply put, the Word of God has come to mean everything to me. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I would ask that you all stand. Uh, we're going we're gonna to play one song. and I've listened to this song probably a hundred times in the last month. And it means a lot to me. It means a lot to my family. It's called, I Will Wait. It says, I'm reminded from where you've brought me and where you've placed me for today, and I won't forget that your hand will hold me. Your love sustains me through the wait. Let's pray.